This morning it's going to be called, it's still in the thrill of hope, the right saviour. Now, I really, I'm going to pray before we start because everybody's so familiar with the story. But I tell you, I've had one revelation after another to the point that I thought I can't do it. Because you keep on hearing and the virgin will have a baby and you will call his name and we know it, we know it. And almost we approach, we approach it with this familiarity that we know it, we know the story. But I tell you what, if we don't usually start, I'm diving in now, we don't usually start our salvation with a baby born in Bethlehem. We don't do that. We start with a saviour crucified, dead, buried, risen again. And it's as if he takes us a U-turn back then to Bethlehem. And it's just stunning. Because now we can grasp what it was for Christ to be a human. Whereas when we're, I know that, you know, I've been in the carol service in the Methodist church and you've watched your grandchildren there and it was lovely. But I know now that for most of the people, it goes over their head. A baby born, laid in a manger, magi come. Yeah, we know it, we know it, we know it. No, you don't. You don't. And you know what? So often with the scriptures, this familiarity breeds this sort of complacency about Bible study. Because we know that. We know the Bible study. We, we know the Bible story, sorry. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that my heart, your heart, our minds will be opened to truth we've never seen before. Because that's what he's responsible for. He's responsible for teaching us the things of the kingdom. Would you say amen with me? Amen. Let's be alive this morning. Let's be alive. Let's have Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome you as the only one that can break open the scriptures. You know, the disciples spent three years with you, in and out of the glory of seeing what you were like, even the transfiguration. And yet, it said before you left the earth that you opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. How much more do we, who have not yet touched you, and felt you and looked into your eyes. How much more do we need you to open the scriptures to us this morning and not think, yeah, we know this. We know this. It comes every Christmas. No, no, we don't know this. Let's come and say, we don't know this. Let's humble ourselves and say, Jesus, we don't know this. Would you teach us by your spirit what you're on about here so that we might be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. So, Isaiah 9. I love it in the message because it says, it says um, a, ba um, a child has been born for us. And in Isaiah 9, we have the prophecy that was 700 years before Jesus came to be born. So I'm going to read it to you because in this scripture is who he is, who this baby is. And it says here, in verse 2, in verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress in the past. In the past, he humbled the lands of Nebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea. 
it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. That's where we live, in the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government, that's the government of the whole world, the whole universe, will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Jesus, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then in Matthew... Matthew boldly declares in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill. You remember I talked about made up what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a big deal to walk around saying you're God. It was a big deal for Jesus to walk around saying he was God. And you might say, well, did he say he was God? Oh, yeah, yeah. From the moment he started his ministry, because the first thing he did was the greatest offense to the religious leaders. The religious leaders could hack him doing miracles. They could hack him doing healings, but they would not tolerate him calling himself God by forgiving sins. That was absolutely blasphemy. The rabbis would have tolerated everything, but as it says in Mark 2, um, Mark 2, 1 to 7, it says this. Oh, it's when Jesus heals a paralyzed man that's lowered down through the roof. And he says to him, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, uh-uh, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So right off the bat, Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm God. I am actually doing what only God can do. You know that only God can forgive sins. Well, I'm God. And that was the offense. And that, from that moment on, they were going to look to kill him. Because to them, he was blaspheming. Okay. Everything about Jesus is God in flesh. Emmanuel. Look at John, um, John 1, um, 14. This is awesome. It says, the word became flesh. The word of God. Now think, all the Old Testament... All the law, all the prophets, 
all the Psalms. I read the Psalms so differently now. The Psalms are packed full where David starts talking about himself and then he's talking about Jesus. You often think, well, who's he talking about? He's going off talking about Jesus. You know, the eternal one. You've given me life everlasting sort of thing. You will not cast me from your presence. And you realize he's gone from talking about himself and he's talking about Christ. And you see this thread of Christ woven all the way through scripture. And here he is, the word becoming flesh. Jesus Christ, the fullness of the word. He, yeah. Okay. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amazing. So he's walking around. And these guys, Matthew, Mark, and John, they were eyewitnesses of everything that happened. So they watched him carefully. Every move, how he slept, how he ate, how he prayed, how he spent time with his father. The miracles, the wonders, the way he turned bread and fish and bits and bobs into feeding 5,000, 4,000. They watched him closely. Was he the genuine thing? And he was. This is all unique. It's unique to us as Christians. There is no other religion that makes this claim, Emmanuel, God come to earth. Pantheists believe that God is in all nature and all living things. Polytheists would say that there are many gods. Poly means many. And that they would sometimes take human form and come to the earth, usually to interfere and meddle, or for war or for fertility. But they were, but they were not morally good. They were unpredictable. They were unreliable. They were not gods that you... That, that, that could forgive sins. They, they weren't, they weren't no useful to us. They were no good to us. No, God stands completely alone and completely separate from his creation. And he is one God. He's not, he is in nature, but he isn't confined to nature. He is the creator God, but he is completely separate to his creation. He can destroy it if he wants to. He doesn't lack anything. God Yahweh was holy, unapproachable, almighty. We use words like omnipotent and omnipresent, always everywhere at all times. Almighty, all-knowing, knows everything from time before time began because we're in time. He's not in time. He's eternal. All-seeing and wholly good. And that goodness is something we've got to grasp. Um, and um, Angie and I used to do um, a club at school called Jaffa Club. Jesus, a friend for all, something like that, wasn't it? And um, we sat in a circle. I don't know whether you remember this. And um, and it's it's memorable. It never leaves me. It makes me cry. That we were talking about God's glory. And I said, and I thought, well, this is going over their heads a bit, you know. So I just said, so what, what do we think God's glory is, kids? And um, little Thomas, was about eight, was he? Looked up at me and said, it's his goodness. And I think if we can get hold of that, that he imparts a goodness to us. You know, how much does the enemy constantly assail our minds? 
with trouble, distress, the price of chicken, you know, the where are we going to go? Where are we get there on time? If we've got enough money, if we haven't got enough money, do people like us? Do people not? Should he have said that? Should she have said that? How hurt are we? How hurt do we feel today? How do we feel today? Let's take the temperature of our spirituality. Oh, I don't feel that great today. Therefore, I'm not that great today. How many of us waste time when Jesus says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated? Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. All these things are rubbish. They're all going to go. They're all going to disappear. It's getting your mind. It's it's a struggle. Put your hand up if you've ever had a struggle to get your mind on things above. Come on. You know, it's far easier to think I've got to get the washing in and the washing out. That you can cope with. But getting your mind on things above, it takes a bit of effort. It takes a bit of effort, doesn't it? But, you know, this little lad got it, hadn't he, Angie? He completely got it. It's his goodness. And I'm going to show you something. He wasn't only good. He wasn't only omnipotent, omnipresent, all-seeing, all-knowing. Do you know something about God that we don't see in Jesus yet? I wonder if anybody can tell me. He was terrifying. God was absolutely terrifying. He'd make you brick it. He was absolutely terrifying. Totally hidden in flesh. Take the name of Jesus in vain. Talk about Jesus if he's a local postman. He was, God was terrifying and Jesus was God. I'm going to show you Exodus 33. He was absolutely terrifying. You didn't get near, G, near God and not know about it. And he, and he's wrapped up in flesh. What did that, um, what did that play people say? He was, your creator is wrapped in skin or something on Friday. We did the children. Your creator is wrapped in skin. I like that one. So Exodus 33, 12 says this. It says, Moses, it's worth reading. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. I think that's one prayer that we should constantly have on our lips. Teach me your ways. I know what my ways are like. They always end up, you know, skew with. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do every, the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Awesome. He says he knows us by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Whoa. As the Lord said, I will cause, and the Lord said, I will cause. So Moses says, this is what an eight-year-old boy got. Moses said, show me your glory. And Moses says this, show me your glory. Is the, is the, is, is the desire. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's his goodness right there. 
He chooses, he chooses to forgive us. He chooses to have compassion on you. And it's completely and utterly his choice. And that's his goodness. And it's so dependable. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. No one may see God and live. Judas had the nerve to kiss him, to betray him. Mary wiped her feet with her hair. John leaned on his breast. People touched him. He touched them. And yet you couldn't get near to God. Otherwise, it would kill you. Jesus is God. He's our go-between. He is our, he is the one that we know identifies with us. And yet somehow we've got to get this into our head that he's God. That you can't mess around with God and you can't mess around with Jesus. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand in a rock, on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand and I will pass by until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. His face must not be seen. To see God would kill Moses. And yet we see, we see Jesus. And I love this scripture in 1 John. This, this really came home to me. 1 John 1. Listen to this. Listen to this and again and you. 1 John 1. Um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. So he was with God. He is God. He was God in the beginning. And when Moses received the law on stone tablets, he changed physically. I mean, he so changed that his face glowed. It glowed. And when he came down, and there's a mystery here. I can only tap into it. And if you want to look at it, you'll have to look at it. Because I think, I think it's this. This is a mystery. When he received the tablets of stone, his face glowed. It says of Jesus, he had no comeliness, no, nothing that we should admire in him. Yet he brought a gospel that was far more glorious. Could it be that the glory was in the gospel? Could it be that the, but Moses, who had experienced this God experience, his face glowed. But could it be that our hearts glow with the tremendous truth of the gospel. And I think this, I think the biggest work that Satan does is to keep you rabbiting around so that you don't, you don't live in the glory. You know, you can have your routines and they're so routines, there's no room for him. No room for the spontaneous. You've had your five minutes, your ten minutes, you've had your quiet time, you went to church on Sunday, you read your Bible last week, whatever. But it's a continuous life of glory. And sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I have to go out of my room because it's too much. I can't, I can't even grasp what I'm understanding. I can't even put into words what I, what I feel is saying. 
And we'll need resurrection bodies to take it because he's too much. He's, he, you know, we have this, we have, like him, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And that's the glory. It's the glory of a saved life. Do you know how blooming different we are? This is a unique gospel. We are not like our friends who are not Christians. And it doesn't go down well in the world. They call us narrow-minded. They say, why can't you be more open-minded? All right? I'm the worst of sinners. I've done more than anybody in this room. And I've done it willingly and knowingly. But what the world doesn't get is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have eternal life. We're not saying it's all right if you steal. It's all right if you lie. We're saying, no, God would judge that as wrong. But he doesn't judge you. You've been judged on that cross. Jesus died that death that you and I deserve. He died that death so that you and I don't have to. This is the good news. You don't have to die. You don't have to go to hell for your sins. You can know the Savior of the world. You can know this terrifying God in the form of the most beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful, humble, meek, kind, compassionate Jesus, who never condemns you. I've been in the midst of terrible arguments and terrible fights, and the Lord Jesus has quietly whispered, enough, enough. I've never heard him come down on me hard. Do you know that? I, I was having an argument with my blessed husband, and you can't imagine how I would do that. And uh, God said, enough. I think he was Jewish. Enough already. And I went upstairs and he said to me from Isaiah, the young wife, the way of peace you do not know. No, you're right. You're blooming right. I know how to fight and argue. I know how to be defensive. I know how to criticize. I know how to slander. I know how to be unkind. I know how to fight my corner. I know how to be selfish. I know how to be lustful. I know how to steal somebody else's, you know, um, good name. But I do not know the way of peace. No, said Jesus, but I do. <laughs> so we have an amazing saviour. So God is terrifying. Yet Jesus is God. And it's as if he's hidden himself in this flesh to bring us something so glorious. So the challenge, the challenge of Christmas is simply this. The scriptures make the case that our condition is dire. Dire. Terminal illness. Sin is terminal death. Can you have terminal death? That's a double one. We can't be good enough on our own. We can't develop enough God consciousness on our own. We can't be moral enough on our own. We can't try hard enough, do enough, or be enough. God had to come after us in Jesus Christ. We could not be born again ourselves. I've had four children and they didn't do diddly squat to get out. Do you feel guilty, Susan? Okay. They never helped me. They never said, don't bother to push, Mom. We'll find our way out. They never sent the communication up. You just lie there. Sup a cup of tea and we'll get out. They never did anything to get born again, and neither do you, except this one thing that you have every day. 
and that's to choose him. To choose him. No other religion claims that God himself ever came to live among us. God stepped out of heaven, out of his majesty and unlimited power and to take our brokenness, our wickedness and our filth. And until we really see, really, 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 really see how depraved we are without him. We will cling to the last vestige of self-righteousness. And the one thing that will condemn us is this, and I've done it, and it's terrifying. But I'm right, aren't I? Until you see that being right is not the ultimate end, you're going to have such a hard job in life. Because Jesus doesn't say, you're right. He says, you're forgiven. He doesn't say that you have any righteousness. The way Paul described righteousness, do you know how Paul described righteousness? A menstrual cloth. And you wouldn't want me to pass one of those around, would you? He says that all self, you see, self-righteousness literally takes you away from God and out out of the sights of Christ to save. He can't save you if you're trying to save yourself. He can't make you born again. I love that bit in the Narnia series. Is it Edmund who puts the bracelet on and, and becomes a dragon? Is it Edmund? Eustace, thank you. It's Eustace. And he puts the bracelet on and he becomes this dragon it's an excellent the old bbc version is the best because you've got a very uh, wonderful thing and i don't know how they did it in those days because it must be very old it must be i don't know 30 40 years old but you see eustace scratching these scales off his skin and it's really awful these some of these scales are falling off and the voice of aslan says you must let me do this for you this is the good news. You must let Jesus do this for you. You must let Jesus do this for you. The challenge of Christmas is, will you let him save you? Don't just sit there and say, I'm saved. Of course you're saved, hopefully. If you're not, come and see me. We'll get it done. But the deal is, I say today, save me. Save me from being right. Save me from going downstairs and lording it. Save me from being so prickly and so insensitive. Save me from being offended. God, oh Lord, I get so offended. Save me from, save me from thinking that in my thinking I'm right. I love that song by Mark. What's his name? Robin Mark. Who says, if my understanding clouds your way. You see, even my understanding I don't trust. Do you see what I mean? You see, Jesus didn't come to be a hero. He wasn't iconic. He wasn't somebody really you should put on the mantelpiece or hang up, you know, a picture of. He didn't come like that. And he lived with us in every way. God in flesh lived with us, suffered, suffered the agonies of 
stupidity around him. Oh, how long am I going to be with you? He said, oh, oh God, beat me up. You know, how long am I going to be with you? Suffered tiredness, suffered the assaults of Satan to tempt him in every way, batter him in every way as we are tempted. And yet he never failed. And what did he do? He fulfilled another Isaiah scripture. He was numbered amongst the transgressors when he was crucified. Listen, God forgave the world from that cross in unimaginable pain and agony. And because we are now in Christ, I want to say this because I think it's specific to somebody here. We can forgive anyone of anything that they've done to us. Because Christ did that and we are in Christ, we can forgive through Christ And Christ can forgive, this is a mystery, Christ can forgive through us. Because he said, whatever sins you forgive are forgiven, and whatever you withhold, we'll withhold. Christ's ministry goes on through us, the way we live every day. Are we going to wipe everybody's slate clean every day? It says in Psalms, when you lie on your bed, check it out. When you lie on your bed, check it out. Check it out whether you've got any offence. Don't go to sleep with an offence because it produces hard hearts. So this doesn't go down well with outsiders. But as Christians, we have, and as non-Christians, I would put this before them because I'm not in school now. I don't have to... Apologize for being a Christian, as we did for seven lessons last week in Manor School, which was awesome. But we have truths that we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose. Jesus offers us salvation on his terms, not on my terms. Jesus offers us truth on his terms, not on my terms. He lived amongst us. He died amongst us. He took the punishment that we should have taken. He took the full rap. I want to read you a scripture that I, I hope I've written down, but I don't know where it is. I don't know where it is. It's that, um, oh, it's in 1 John, I think. Hang on. Hang on. It, this is awesome, this scripture. 1 John. It says this. It says, um, listen to this. This is what John says. That which was from the beginning... 1 John 1, which we have heard, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We, we proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So the outsiders think that we're narrow-minded, that we should accept so much more than we do, that we should change the boundaries. But we can't because Jesus calls us to accept him on on his terms. And I tell you again that just as Isaiah 9, 700 years before Jesus said, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. 
Matthew could stand up and say, this, call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you will give him the name Emmanuel, God with us. Brothers and sisters, God is with you today. There is no sin he won't forgive. There is no addiction he won't break. There is no heart he won't heal. There is no problem he won't solve. And into the bargain, he'll reveal himself. This terrifying God in Christ Jesus. I absolutely love the gospel. I love to share it because it says that when we share the gospel, we're actually being edified ourselves. Ask him to give you someone to share it. Let it flow through you. Let it change your life. Think upon his goodness. Think upon his mercy. Think about what it says when, when God passed in front of Moses and said, all his goodness passed in front of him. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will show compassion to who I will. You and I are those who've had compassion shown. If we got a sick husband, a sick wife, sick children, if we've got problems in our lives, he is the answer. Jesus has been given to us as the answer for everything that could possibly go wrong in our lives. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the completeness of God. And I want to read you, to finish, I want to read you what Jesus is like, and then I'm finished, Revelation 3, because this is a bit more of his terrifyingness ex exposed. Um, it's John writing the, the letter, the revelation. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God. I think they tried to kill him so many times and he wouldn't die. And the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, recognisable dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Sorry. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the same Jesus that we walk into a prayer meeting and we open our mouths without thinking and we say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, please, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, 
And we, we need to have a revelation somewhere in us that we don't have to have every time we're in a prayer meeting and we don't have to have every time we're in a, you know, in a gathering. We don't have to do that. But somewhere, I want to say this to you as a pastor, and I want to say this to every one of you, somewhere you're going to have to bump into the real Jesus. You're going to have to bump into the real Jesus. Not that Jesus just provides all your needs. Not that Jesus just moves your situation or gets you a good job or completes that, you know, that clinches that deal. The real Jesus, that when you see him as he is, you would fall down dead. And that is what stops you gossiping, lying, thieving, slandering, being apathetic. Because you know that your very life depends on this Jesus. And you can't keep putting him off. And you can't keep making excuses because he's after you. He loves you with a passion. He loves me. He wants to save me. He wants to save me as much today as he's ever did when he was in heaven. That's what he came for. That's what he came to accomplish. It is, he is the perfect saviour. He is the thrill of hope. In prayer, in in our, in our lives, in our authenticity, in our worship, in our conversations with our children, in, a, in the way we deal with each other. He is Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that God has done you good. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come, aren't we? Now, if we would like to stand...